and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. I'm Cristiana Figueres, and today we have something very special for you. Much as we love Tom and Paul, and you know that we do, today we have an all-female cast. I speak to climate activist Abigail Kima from Kenya about her recent visit with the Dalai Lama and to Isabel Cavalier, climate activist from Colombia, about her prestigious Climate Breakthrough Award. And we have music from Penelope Isles. Thanks for being here. So today I have two fabulous women on the show. Two different generations, two different continents, both activists from the global south, one on the front lines of youth activism, one with deep experience in multilateral policy development to accelerate action. It is so exciting to have both of them here, both good friends and uh, both doing truly inspirational work. But let's start with Abigail Kima, Abby as we call her. And our listeners will remember that we had Abby here before, way back in April. So Abby, hello, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be back and it's lovely to see you again. So Abby, we, um, we, we had you, as I said, back in April here on the show, and you were just on the verge of launching your podcast, Hali Hewa. I remember how nervous you were, how you asked a thousand different questions about how a podcast is put together, not that we have figured that out yet, um, but how how inspiring it was to watch you doing a true startup, right? You were right there at the startup moment of this uh, fantastic podcast that seeks to provide critical African voices with a global microphone. So would love for you to bring our listeners up to date with uh, how has it been with your podcast? How have you found hosting it? And of course, what your plans are. Um, well, a lot has happened since we last had a conversation. And first of all, thank you for giving me an opportunity to launch my podcast on outrage and optimism. Like I said, a lot has happened. A lot has changed. Uh, a lot of growth. Uh, I have learned through the process as I go because, again, of course, I am not an expert, but I had to really learn by fire. Uh, but it, it has been such a beautiful experience just speaking to people, um, allowing them to speak from their heart and telling their own stories of why they're in, they're doing this kind of work. So it's been beautiful to really understand people's journey, where they came from, why they do what they do and the amazing work that they're also doing. So that has been quite a beautiful experience for me. And I'd say I'm always inspired whenever I host um, a podcast episode and concerning what has happened uh, we are on our fifth episode now so we have five published episodes uh, speaking to various people on issues of women on issues of loss and damage on activism on indigenous people um, on the on the science of climate from an African perspective, which has been quite interesting, and also really trying our best to simplify and speak in a way that is relatable to the audience that we are trying to reach. Uh, Abby, I I have a little question for you. Now that you've done so many of these episodes, um, 
Are you finding that you're less nervous or more nervous? Do you have to do more preparation or less preparation? How is it for you personally? Um, I feel more relaxed, if I'm being honest, um, because I'm like, nobody's going to beat me. <laughs> uh, and I like would love to be my most authentic self when I'm speaking on the podcast. So uh, there's definitely a change and I'm more relaxed now. And I sort of have a rhythm of how I prefer this, prepare the speaker briefs, which I obviously learned from you as well. So I'd say things are really getting better and now I have a rhythm that I can easily follow and be less nervous and anxious yeah great great that really does make a difference precisely for what you say right because then you can be more authentic and mm -hmm. your listeners can just relate much more directly with you that's really quite uh qu quite important for listeners to not feel like they are being uh put in a precast yeah uh format true what sorts of feedback have you gotten from your listeners? Um, so there's definitely a good number of people listening to the podcast. Um, and then, so what I would ideally do in the coming uh, future is to now do more grassroots stories because um, that is where all the action happens. That is where the real stories are. But in terms of feedback, there's really positive feedback and there's sort of uh, an understanding, especially for those people who are not in the climate community of what is happening. Uh, thanks to the podcast, they now understand why, what copies, why it's important, why they need to be involved, how it's impacting on their own personal lives. So I'd say there's really good feedback. That's so great. Mm -hmm. Well, Abby, and of course, we're now very close to the start of COP27. COP is coming to your continent, coming to Africa. Um, is It does mean, of course, that African issues are going to be front and center. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and because you are so intent on getting the African voice out there, mm -hmm. I can only imagine that you have very ambitious plans for COP27. What are they? Um, so in terms of what I am going to do at COP, um, is also just bring more stories of, of communities to COP. And luckily we have a good number of young people who will be present there. And so I'll also be taking some of those stories and amplifying them through the podcast and through other platforms. And then also looking to speak to different people at COP to understand their perspectives, what they would define as success out of COP27, but also out of speaking to people in the published episodes, which are now five, uh, issues that have really stood out is definitely loss and damage finance and also the delivery of of the 100 billion promise because um, uh, we really have communities that need this financing to adapt to the impacts of climate change. Yep. And um, well, through the podcast, I've also had an opportunity to visit communities and uh, some of those situations are really dire and very devastating. Um, for example, the northern part of Kenya, I was in Isiolo in August, and they haven't seen rain for about two years now, and there's literally no food, no water. Um, they, they're not able to, I mean, the, their livestock are also dying, and that is what they depend on as a source of livelihood. So when we talk about uh, loss and damage, you really don't expect those people to adapt to lack of food or adapt to lack of water. So just really driving the conversation around delivery of the loss and damage finance facility and also the climate finance. Excellent. So Excellent. I'd say that is quite important. 
Yes, those are definitely going to be crucial, very, very difficult topics, mm-hmm. uh, have been for years, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they're really coming to the fore now that, uh, that Egypt is hosting um, this COP. Um, Abby, before I, I let you go, um, I just wanted you to share with listeners a wonderful experience that you recently had uh, just a few weeks ago, more or less 180 people Mm-hmm. traveled to Dharamsala in India for a session that was organized there by the Mind and Life Institute. And uh, as part of that session, you all had an audience with uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. You were um, in that group. Mm-hmm. And so you will remember that in his conversation with all of you, He reminded everyone that we pay a lot of attention to physical things, to material resources, to power, but that we don't pay enough attention to our mindset, to our inner peace, to Mm -hmm. our inner strength. Mm -hmm. And that if we don't have peace of mind, first of all, we won't be happy, but perhaps from the perspective of an activist, Mm -hmm. we cannot have our best impact on the world. Mm -hmm. And these are topics that... uh, that we also discussed and uh, experienced at length in the uh, recent Plum Village retreat where you so kindly and wonderfully joined us as well. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring that forward um, and let you share with uh, with listeners your experience, your experience of being in Dharamsala with all these people that are devoted to their spiritual journey. And, um, and then, of course, uh, the collective audience with the Dalai Lama. Um, well, um, I think I'm still reeling from what that experience was like for me. It's the kind of experience that you can't really put words to it. But um, uh, Dharamsala was beautiful, first of all, being in the mountains with very fresh air and being around such great energy was beautiful. And then during the sessions, we had such deep conversations around, I mean, conversations and teachings around uh, being, interbeing, uh, love, um, serving, which are things that we normally don't speak a lot about. And then it was also very inspiring to see people who have set up organizations solely focused on kindness uh, which is, is which was quite interesting for me to see and experience because um oftentimes as an activist whenever you go to conferences or meetings you're you're ready to fight you're you're ready <laughs> you're you've come for war and now being in this space meant really just being calm and and really connecting with people at a really deep, deep level same uh, which is quite similar to the experience we had at Plum Village. And then uh, with the audience, with the Dalai Lama, um, which is something I'd probably, I'd never forget. Um, immediately he walked in, you could feel this aura of warmness and, and love. And and he had this very uh, warm smile. And we he invited us young people to ask him questions. Um, and um, all of us had different things to ask him about and and his message was very clear uh, he really talked deeply about oneness uh, being that we are all brothers and sisters and he also talked about compassion and love and warm-heartedness and in the context of 
of climate change and and as an activist and fighting for for people and communities he said um when we see each other as brothers and sisters it means we cannot do something that that is detrimental to the other person we are aware of our interconnectedness and then that really inspires us from the deepest part of our hearts to do the right thing which i feel is so important in this space because we are always uh, ready to fight each other over who is ra- who is right who is wrong and we forget that you know at the end of the day we are all just one we are brothers and sisters we are very similar we have uh not so similar experiences but we all draw from the same power and energy and we all want to live in a safe planet so it was absolutely it was quite a beautiful experience and yeah i loved being there wonderful thank you abby thank you very much for for sharing that quite a uh, quite a life experience one that you will remember um mm-hmm. your entire life yes Thank you so much and thank you for joining us here Abby all the best to uh to your efforts at the COP you shared with us just before we started recording that your aspiration is to do daily podcasting from COP27 we know how much work that is <laughs> yeah. so uh all all the best to you if you don't manage a daily don't worry don't worry yeah. your audience will be very loyal to you <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and they will they will be thrilled that you're broadcasting straight from from COP27. Mm-hmm. So, um have a good trip to Egypt mm-hmm. to Sham al-Sheikh. Thank you. Um and uh, and we will be listening to your broadcasting from there. Thank you. Thank you so much. And now I would like to introduce another remarkable woman who has been working for years tirelessly behind the scenes in the multilateral space to inform support and inspire governments business and finance leaders and fellow negotiators to push forward for ambitious policy on all sorts of issues related to sustainability and climate change and you will hear the amazing array of issues that she has had her finger in and how humbly she speaks about her leadership. Isabel Cavelier is a uh, is a good friend. She is a Colombian change maker and uh, she's always been motivated by a clean, just, regenerative economy and society across Latin America. She co-founded and is the former executive director of Transforma, which is a Bogota-based climate and ecological think tank. But she's now the founder of Mundo Común, which she is creating as a new organization to be able to capture the impressive funds that she has just received from her newly minted award. Um, and quite impressively, she's dedicating her time, the time of her colleagues and the financial support she's received to caring for climate leaders. I think that is so impressive because I think it demonstrates the difference between female leadership and male leadership. The fact that she's prioritizing caring for climate leaders as part of her work over the next few years. So, let's go to the conversation without further ado. Enjoy this remarkable conversation. 
Bueno, Isabel, bienvenida, bienvenida. Gracias. I am so thrilled to have you on Outrage and Optimism. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. And I'm looking on uh, at you on my screen, Isabel, and realizing you in Colombia are at the heart of winter and you're freezing and I'm going into Costa Rica summer and I am actually quite warm today. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think it's actually quite interesting because it speaks to the complementarity that you and I have had for so many years. I have been privileged to work with you, Isabel, for more years than I can remember. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always been such a pleasure, such a pleasure, and such an honor to work with you because you have been so much more attentive to detail while being incredibly strategic than I am. I have to say, uh, Isabel, that it's always so important in the climate space to have people who work as hard and who think as clearly and as strategically as you, but who do not need to take personal credit. Because the moment personal credit needs mm. to be there, we have lost the contribution of that person. And you, Isabel, for me, you absolutely exemplify that. I would actually say you are the best kept secret of the entire climate community. So, Isabel, this is a public gratitude to you. Thank you so much for so, 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 so many years of your devoted service. But I would actually like to give the um, audience, the listeners, an opportunity to hear from you your story. How did you even come to climate? Uh, why, why, you know, have you stayed with it for such a long time? What motivates you? What, what, what is behind Isabel um, the professional? What is Isabel the personal? And and um, and how do you how do you turn up in the world? Christiana, it's really humbling um, to hear you say all of that. And I'm almost in tears. Um, and the gratitude is is totally mutual. Working with you has been such a privilege. And I've been so honored to share it with you and so many other professionals, men and women who've been de dedicated to this um, in our lives. And, and, and so how do I show up in the world with gratitude, right? With gratitude and from gratitude with love. And that has been uh, a big part of our, our climate journey. I started working on climate change really by the um, beautiful mentorship of a good friend of ours, a very bright woman, Paula Caballero, who hired me many, many years ago. And on the night before I was starting a new job at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, where I was due working on social matters, I had always worked on, on human rights and gender and racial issues. She said on a Sunday night at 10 p.m., Hola, Chiqui. Hi. Uh, I, I, we hadn't even met. We hadn't even met. I mean, we had seen each other once for an interview. And she said, I, I need someone to work on climate change. I think you would be great. Um, would you be willing to do that? I know you're starting tomorrow, but I, I know you'll be great. And I said, whoa, 10 p.m. on a Sunday night. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'm willing. I want to learn. And so <laughs> I started. I started on the next day. Two, two weeks into the job, I... Um, I was um I, I flew to Bangkok with her for the 
for the $6 million agenda fight. Uh, that was a one-week negotiation in Bangkok where I was completely lost in translation. Like, what is this world? I didn't, I had never <laughs> understood anything. Like, I had never studied climate or or anything. And, and I sort of really jumped into that cold water. And ever since I have, I, I have what I have called the climate syndrome. I can, I can, I had, I, I cannot stop working on this and dedicating my life energy to this uh, because it really has connected. It gets into your veins, it doesn't does. it? You get it like does. bitten into your by this jeans. bug. <laughs> yes. It gets into your veins, into your genes, yes. and you just can't yes. let go of it. It's yeah, terrible. Exactly. Later on, for example, sort of Paula and I collaborated in Colombia's um, well, role in, in, in designing the SDGs and sort of being with her in that was really amazing. I have, uh, you know, navigated through working on sustainable development and climate and, and, and all wait, things. Wait, 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 hold on, yeah. Isabel, because I think you shortchanged yourself as usual. <laughs> you shortchanged yourself there. I, I have to say, at least from my perspective, uh, that it was you and Paola and Colombia were the original, original authors of the idea of the SDGs. That is an amazing contribution because today we're all, you know, know the little colored squares and the little the circle mm -hmm. and all of that, um, that, um, that has been such an amazing, um, good education of the public on the SDGs. But the idea that the world had to come together on sustainable development goals and the proposal to the UN in New York and the entire negotiation of that uh, was, of course, the work of thousands of people. But the idea for it and the hard work to develop the concept and then uh, truly work for it was entirely Colombia. And it was you and Paula who did this amazing work. So there again, another part of your best kept secret. <laughs> Thank you, Cristiana. I cannot take credit um, away from Paula and her bright leadership on this. Um, and also the other amazing women in the Colombian Ministry of Foreign Affairs and in the Colombian government yes. at the time. The Vice yes. Minister of Foreign Affairs, Patti Londoño, but also the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Maria Angela Holguin, were truly amazing at really sort of giving Paula all of what she needed to lead. And, and, and I can only be humbled by having been part of that team that was supporting the creation of that idea. Um, and over time, you know, it's, it's birth. Um, but but I, I I'm full of admiration and 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 humbled by having been part of, of a team. And I think this is what I have also come to learn through all of these years and that that is so beautiful and that is bringing me home now very deeply and we'll come to that. And it is that it is collective wisdom what really yes. emerges any good idea in the world. And climate work shows us this so deeply. It connects us to our deepest ability to connect you know it's redundant but that is what it is and so that is correct and so and 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 especially that is a very as it's all humans are able to do that i think women have practiced that um, much more, more deeply so far we all need to do it and men are perfectly able to do it um, but i think the fact that there was that sort of 
amazing team of women that were connected and able to do this humbly and to emerge the collective wisdom that that was needed to do that was yes. a, a huge uh, part of the learning and I I'm still 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 learning still doing it today <laughs> I mean that's where absolutely. I'm that's where absolutely. I'm landing now nowadays yeah so so Isabel I I would love to fast forward you because I think also um, the Paris Agreement was such a good example of collective wisdom and collective leadership um, again especially from uh, from women and and really quite a uh, quite a blessing to have participated there and have been able to fill that political moment and here we are uh, just a few days before cop 27 with honestly a very very complicated geopolitical landscape with an energy crisis with uh the pandemic still having its consequences over so many countries with debt uh with the high prices of oil and gas and then on food also crippling many many developing countries and on top of that so many developing countries feeling the consequences of extreme weather events uh, that they've been having because of climate change. So um, so how, what do we do with all of that at COP27? Uh, I, I'm, I must say from my perspective, Isabel, it's not all uh, peaches and cream and, uh, and wonderfully uh, smelling roses for COP27. It's going to be a very, very difficult COP. How does it look like from your perspective? Christiana, we are really in a polycrisis. And I, I loved hearing recently from a, a, a colleague I, I just met this year um, who said to me, um, these are powerful times. I found that very inspiring because if sometimes it feels like they are daunting and terrifying times. But the fact that we are really living through a polycrisis and what feels like a big collapse also makes these times very powerful. Mm. So yes, COP27 is a very difficult COP. It's not a rosy time. Um, and at the same time, it's happening at a very powerful time because we are going through all of that. And almost like in that sensation of collapse is where we can still say, Well, you know, we can, we can cooperate. For me, the most important challenge of this COP is, it sounds almost obvious, but it's not obvious in the current situation that the world can see that humans and through their institutions, i.e. governments, can cooperate. We can cooperate. Tension is at its peak, and yet we can cooperate. We can cooperate even in the middle of the worst tension. For me, that's that's essential. Um, obviously, the loss and damage and adaptation agendas are top of mind for this COP. Yep. And the hardest piece is that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of political space to move ahead on anything and on those two very hard topics. Very hard because they generally land in a conversation about money and money right. feels scarce everywhere, including in countries that have historically been those responsible for providing assistance and providing the money and originating the flows. 
for the most vulnerable in the world. So that makes it extremely challenging. And yet, you know, living up to the challenge means showing we can collaborate and we can cooperate and that multilateralism, you know, is suboptimal, but is cooperation. And that's an ethical principle of how we live in the world that needs to be upheld and sustained. So that's very politically as a message is very important. And second, the second challenge is, can we make some progress on how are we going to be addressing the losses and the damages, not only grieving what is going to be lost and is already being lost, but also really providing the resources to reconstruct and to go through that and adapt. Um, so, so that is at the core and heart of this COP. There's obviously the need to show implementation progress. You know, COP26 last year in Glasgow said, hey, people, it's not enough to come back every five years. We need to come every year, to come back every year. And showing that that is possible is essential. So the rhythm, you know, that we show rhythm is important. Um, And that is almost like how we can be steady in the rhythm increase. Um, So all of those are important political messages that are going to have their technical conversations that obviously have their difficulties in landing. Um, But to me, I think the most important is, again, we can cooperate. And loss and damage, yes, hard, hard to have the money, but let's be willing to cooperate. Let's open the door, right? If I'm if I'm a country, if I were a country in the global, so-called global north or that is more privileged than others, the willing, the coming to the cup with a willingness to cooperate and say, yes, let's have the conversation. It's hard for me. I don't know who I'm going to convince my electorate and my treasury, but let's cooperate to do this. Open up the conversation is essential. And it's a show that we can have faith in, in cooperation. We're not there yet. And I hope that in these next weeks that are coming up, that that kind of attitude towards COP can be built up. Um, the two we, we cannot build too many high expectations for the two weeks um, because the situation is very dire. Um, and, and, and that's, 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 that's an honest truth that we need to face. Um, the energy transition is looking harder and harder. And with it, the food system crisis is looking harder and harder. And the COP is not going to solve at all. It's probably not going to solve a tenth. But if it can show the political willingness to cooperate, to solve it, I think we've come a long way in the situation we currently are. I I love that you're emphasizing this collaboration, uh, Isabel. And as as you know, uh, when we were both working uh, on something that we called Mission 2020, mm-hmm. um, we developed the concept of radical collaboration because that is, uh, that is what we need to radically collaborate across all kinds of boundaries, boundaries of countries, boundaries of sectors, boundaries of gender, uh, north-south, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the radical collaboration and stepping out of these artificially constructed silos that take us absolutely nowhere. So radical collaboration is absolutely uh, the, the, the need right now. And I have recently been thinking, Isabel, and would love to hear your thoughts. H- how, do we, how do we engender that radical collaboration? It seems to me that we have to be able to shift our mindset out of the concept of the tragedy of the commons that we have been living with since the 1970s, 
the tragedy of the commons and that thought and that concept mm -hmm. that everyone is individualistically mm -hmm. minded and that no one really pays attention to that which is common to all of those. Change our mindset from the tragedy of the commons to the necessity of the commons. Mm -hmm. Because that is what we are now discovering. That in fact, instead of working against each other or staying in our silos. We have to work with each other because we need the commons, because we depend on the commons, because it is the commons from which we get our food, our air, our water. And here I actually want to put the packages of COP27 climate and COP15 on biodiversity together into one conceptual package because they are both discussing the commons this year, one right on the heels of the other. So to move conceptually from mm. accepting that the tragedy of the commons has to continue, if that continues, we will write a very destructive history of the Anthropocene. If we are able to change that, to realize the necessity of the commons, which I think we're, you know, starting to get there. Mm. And the SDG is certainly where the first mm. step, as well as the Paris Agreement. And I hope that we can now at COP15 get to a global biodiversity framework with 30 by 30. But um, it, it, it stems from a very different concept of why are we here? And what do we need to change in order to continue as a human race to be here and, uh, and to be a part of the web of life on this planet? So the move from the tragedy of the commons to the necessity of the commons. Would love to hear your reaction to that. Christiana, it brings me home because I have been deeply trying to deeply understand the very source, the most upstream source of the situation we're in. It's not, it's not emissions. Emissions is the output. Right. Emissions is the output. And no matter how much we try to mitigate, we will never, never solve the situation if we don't go upstream to the very source of the situation that is the paradigm upon which our entire civilization is based. And it is right. the paradigm of separation. We need to move away from that or rather reverse that into a paradigm of integration. And I'll talk more about that. But coming to COP15 and COP27, I used to be, this is this is interesting. I used to be one of those negotiators when you're deep into that weed and you're like, oh, how do you, how can you possibly imagine that you can merge some complex things that it's just going to make that worse. It's just going to make both world, worlds worse, right? That used to be me. I'm like, oh, keep it separate, please. Don't let it almost like contaminate. Don't, don't let it pollute each other. And now a days I am heartened to see that more and more we can understand that biodiversity and climate change, you know, matters is just one and the same thing. And that integration yeah. is not only important, it's necessary that we need to understand the two as two angles to address the same situation. That without solving one, we won't solve the other. That 30 by 30 is essential to solve climate and that solving climate is essential to solving biodiversity. And I, I almost have a, like a little um, discomfort when I say solving X or Y, <laughs> because it's also a very mechanistic approach 
We need to be, and when you say, how do we move from uh, the tragedy of the commons to the necessity of the commons? My answer is we need to be, to need to be it, yeah. to emerge that culture, be that culture. And if, what does that mean? If you're a negotiator going to COP15 or to COP27, or if you're, you know, a, 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 a lawyer working in an oil and gas company, or if you simply are a, a potter in your studio, In all of those situations, you can start being the culture of integration and, and think, okay, how, how do I integrate climate and biodiversity in either COP? How does that look systemically in the two regimes? Can we build deeper integration in the, in the, in the, in the regimes structurally? I think we can. We've been afraid of doing it, but I think we need to. We need to do it. How can we do more science together, IPBES and IPCC? We feel a little bit you know, doubtful. We we should. We, I think we shouldn't be afraid of moving towards more integration. And so I am more an advocate of integration nowadays. And yes, I'm hoping 30 by 30 is agreed at COP15. It's a necessity. But I also hope that in both COPs, I think it started already last year with COP26, but I think it can get much deeper. I hope political messaging in both COPs move, moves towards integration, even structurally, yeah. even architecturally. Yeah, so so interesting. So for listeners, when we say 30 by 30, just quick um, explanation, what we need, mean is that there is the intent, although not yet approved, uh, in the global biodiversity negotiations to get to an agreement to protect 30% of our planet's surface, which includes land and ocean, by 2030. So the, the mm -hmm. shorthand for that is 30 by 30. Uh, and that is currently being supported by about uh, a little bit over 100 countries, but will be put to the test at COP15 that takes place in Montreal um, in early December. Um, but that's just as a, as a little parenthesis to what we're talking about here. To come back to your journey, Isabel, I am so with you on that journey. I, I remember when I was trying to separate and keep things separate because it's too complicated and, yes. and please, you know, it's, it's diff more, it's difficult enough. Please don't complicate yes. it further. <laughs> yeah. And I have come full swing, full swing to the other side to understand, as you say, that these are two sides Of, uh, uh, of the same issue. Mm -hmm. And that just like a piece of paper has two sides of the paper and you cannot divide. You, you, you just try to divide a piece of paper and you can't. Um, and Christiana, that is the same And I way. would even say it's two of the many sides, right? That and is it's true. it's not just two. And we in the climate community tend to feel climate as the primary angle Even, yes. and even those of us who are very na like nature oriented, we think, oh, these two angles and it's just two of the many. And so that is true. we must start thinking our complex reality in a complex way and understand that climate is one of the angles, biodiversity, one of the angles, equity, social equity, one of the angles, right? Gender, G racism, gender, ra patriarchy. Exactly. <laughs> and it's exactly, thank Justice. you. Justice. And it's yeah, 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 yeah. No, all, totally. And, all and intertwined. What is interesting, what is odd, uh, Isabel, is that it is our little brain, right, in our infinite uh, wisdom that has separated these yes. into concepts so that we can deal with them. Correct. But now that we have understood them as separate issues, 
Now the time has come to reintegrate them. Because when you look out there into nature and into society, na nature doesn't separate this, right? For nature, it's, nature must be laughing at us going, ha, ha, ha. They think that yeah. oceans and land and, and biodiversity and, you know, the, our human dependence on this land are all separate issues. They're not. So, mm. um, so, so yes, we have shied away from, from a what we think is a complexity and actually it's not a complexity it is much more a reflection of the it, reality isn't it fun christiana we still refer to nature as something there that thinks about us yes, as if as though we're us outside were not of us it. like we are yes, it yes we are it exactly we are it which means we can well, be and integrated and integrative as nature is because that's we are we are that We are it. Yeah, ex exactly. Interbeing, interbeing. So that brings mm -hmm. me, Isabel, to um, your amazing award that I would like to congratulate you for. Uh, you have recently been awarded the Climate Breakthrough Award, uh, one of the most distinguished and uh, and 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 truly um, groundbreaking uh, awards in the field, and um, it's it's. Very, um, very inspiring what you have said that you would like to do with this award. Uh, on the on the one hand, well, I don't want to put, actually, why don't you explain it? Because I was <laughs> going to say there are two pillars, uh, I think, from from what you want to do with this award, uh, which is a, a, a huge, one of the largest, actually, monetary awards in the field. Um, and has to be put to good use. My sense is that you have two pillars, but why don't I let you discuss? Because it's very um, related to what we've just been talking about, but please do share with us what you're planning to do with your Climate Breakthrough Award. Thank you, Christiana, and, and thank you very much for, for, for referring to that. Um, yeah, it's been a very long journey, and I want to say that that it wouldn't have been possible um, at all to, to be where we are and to have received that award that is humbling, really, if, if it were not for the beautiful work that I've done with other brilliant women. And I want to mention them by name, including Andrea Guerrero and Maria Laura Rojas, with whom years ago we've been working together and with whom we years ago we founded um, a think tank in Colombia called Transforma that is that is flourishing and And it's 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 been uh, really a, a humbling working with them together. But yeah, it's it's um it's been a, a very interesting journey to, to journey to think about what we what we do or what I what I do with this, um, what we because it it will be collective like anything that can emerge wisely needs to be collective, um, because at first our prompt was you you can think about anything that reduces a lot of emissions in 10 years. And so we went in the thinking, how do we reduce a lot of emissions? Is this the real problem to what I was saying earlier? What is causing this? And we went all the way upstream to what are the paradigms upon which our civilization is based that is causing this problem? And there are many paradigms, but the probably the, the two that we came most upstream was one, separation, So let's reverse that to integration. And two, because we separate, we can be extractivistic. Is that a word in English? We can extract from... It is now. Uh, okay. From otherness, right? If, if something is other than me, then I can extract. So yep. separation to integration and extractivism to care. 
to a civilization that is based on care is what we need. And so how do we do that? We, I thought we need to stop talking about it. We need to be that. We need to be the change of culture to shift the culture. Back so, to Mahatma Gandhi. Yes, exactly. Be the change that you be want to see. Be the change that you want to see. And so uh, the, the place to land was, let's be a system of care for those who are in the front line of the, of the action to reduce emissions. And that is mostly, not only, but it's many women who are out there who feel probably the need to be connected and cared for and who, can, who are already doing amazing things and whose power can be unleashed at scale just by being better connected and better cared for. So what we will do is to precisely d design a prototype and then a pilot and then ideally a sort of worldwide scale-up of a care system that can be basically deployed anywhere in any project through any kind of, 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 of initiative. My, my vision is that in the future, any project, just as we think about, you know, no, what's going to be your monitoring and evaluation module or, 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 or what's going to be your KPI for this project? Um, it's and what's going to be your system of care for this project so that anytime an initiative is pursued, there is a system of care that includes embodied restoration of our nervous system, that includes the system, the, the network, the, the support network that gets you connected to others in your field that are working on it, that includes the, the building of the capacity you need to do whatever you are aiming at in, in, in contributing to, to solving the climate crisis. That includes a better access to the resources, including the financial resources that you need for your initiative. And that also includes personal security, because in many parts of the world, and I cannot be um, blind to the fact that I live in a country where it's probably the most dangerous country to be a climate activist in the world. So we need to care for each other also in, fact, in terms of security. an environmental activist in general, in, not indeed, just climate. Not just climate. Yeah, and social, not just climate. It's all yeah. the same. It's all the same. It's so all the same. and so in doing that, that we start seeding a culture of care that in turn becomes the norm. And that in doing that, obviously we and I, I want to design a system that captures all of the culture that we are being and puts it out in the world, hopefully in Spanish and other languages, not just in English. We're so Anglophone in this community. Um, but there's so much happening in in other in other languages that I, that I want to be able to contribute to, um, and ideally that spreads and becomes becomes what we are a, a culture and a civilization that is based on care and integration and not one that is based on separation and extraction, uh, in a nutshell. So so beautiful, Isabel. I couldn't agree with you more. I I often think how much energy we put into addressing drought uh, because we see drought happening and we see desertification happening. Uh, but we don't put enough attention or equal attention to our inner drought. Yes. And so many of us are experiencing or have experienced inner drought because the work that we do is very, very tough. And if we do not care for ourselves and each other, We shrivel up, we burn out, we burn we down. Do. And, and so that inner, in, taking care of that inner drought 
and becoming innerly as resilient as we want our planet to be uh, is definitely uh, the, the, the way to go here. And I truly celebrate that you are focusing on that because we're not going to get to planetary resilience unless we go through yeah. inner resilience. And, uh, and those two are, are so interrelated. So much. And Cristiana, when you think about it, we have been reproducing in the way we work and in the way we relate to each other and in the way we address the problem. We've been reproducing those very yes. same patterns. So when we yep. relate to, let's say, the fossil fuel devil, quote unquote, we do it in separation. We forget it's human beings behind those Yep, those companies. And yes, they need to change. And yes, we need to sort of completely reverse the entire economic system that is based on that. Yes, and it will be hard. Yes, but it's the people, right? It's the beings, it's the plants, it's the animals, it's the water, it's the and we all are collectively wise to be in the world in a different way. So we need to as a community start by being ourselves in a different way, yep. in caring yes. for ourselves differently, in saying, yeah, we don't need to burn out. We don't need to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We can do this at a rhythm that is our natural rhythm. <laughs> And it, I think as we do that, magic will happen. We will start yes, emerging it. There is no other way. If we repeat the patterns, we will only re-entrench the situation. So that's why. So agree with you, Isabel. Let's as change usual. it. So agree. We with can you. do it now. Let's change the way we We can be. do that now. Yes, we can do it now Absolutely. in everything we do. Well, Isabel, I, I would obviously uh, could continue this conversation endlessly with you, and and we can. Let's do that off uh, all, off the podcast. Um, but sadly, we have to come to an end, and we have a little tradition at Outrage and Optimism that we ask all our guests at the end. Um, what what makes you still outraged um, but also what makes you hopeful and optimistic injustice still makes me outraged every day our human capacity for um, being in unjust and for harming otherness human and more than human makes me very outraged. And what makes me optimistic is that I see, I see blooming seeds all around the world of a new culture where humans and more than humans, all species are truly ready to collaborate to emerge something new. And it's very powerful to feel that I can see that and that we can be a part of it. That makes me completely optimistic. And I stopped being anxious about our ecological situation. I started being thrilled and inspired and full of energy to create, to be the emergence artistically, but also intellectually, emotionally, and also intuitively and rationally and with my hands in the soil and in the, in the clay. 
<laughs> well, I won't show you my fingernails because I've just spent many days in the soil. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and having a lot of fun with that. Isabel, what Thank a you, delight. Christiana. Um, Thank you, What so a delight much. to have this conversation with you. Um, I think our listeners are going to be thrilled. Thank you so, so I've much. I've been thrilled and humbled. And, Thank you. And um, I, I will be in touch with you. In fact, right after we stop recording, because I want to make a proposal to you, but off camera. So okay. um, thank you I very much for this. Thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, I will talk to you very soon. So um, what a beautiful conversation with Isabel. As I said um, before, I shared the conversation with listeners. I am so taken by the fact that Isabel and her colleagues have recognized the urgent need to take care of ourselves, to take care of others. If there is something that is prevalent among all of us who are working in the climate space, in the biodiversity space, in the uh, gender space, in any of the injustices and the crisis that we are witnessing right now. It is burnout because these are huge issues and we're bringing our entire selves to it. And we are so motivated and so passionate about the work that we do that we completely devote ourselves to the topic And we tend to address the topic from a technical point of view. If it's climate change, we look at emissions. If it's desertification, we look at drought. If it's biodiversity, we look at species that we are losing, on and on. But we do it first focusing on the issue from our head and not complementing it from our heart. And also, we are so outside-focused on the work that has to be done there, that we tend to forget that it is equally important to tend to ourselves inside. And I, that's why I brought that out, that message that the Dalai Lama shared with colleagues and friends who were there with him, because he also reminds us that we have to tend to our inner garden if we want to create a regenerated garden out of the planet. And those two things have to go hand in hand. Yes, we need bold leadership. Yes, we need to go out there and make the changes that are necessary. But we have to be able to take care of ourselves and take care of others. So that combination of being out there and doing the tough, tough work that needs to be done, but also being able to step inside and ensure that we are replenishing ourselves, that we're not causing inner drought as we're working on the outer drought, that we're not uh, causing inner loss as we're working on the outer loss. It is such an important balance to reach and so difficult, so difficult to reach because we always feel like we don't deserve this. We feel even guilty about taking time to think about ourselves. But I think more and more people are coming around to the realization that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And we have to take care of ourselves and of others if we actually want to run the race to its final goal. So 
how wonderful to see that Isabel has uh, decided to make that one of her main aims with the award, the monetary award that she and her colleagues have received, and how wonderful to see that there is more and more realization around the world about that. So with those thoughts, um, I would like to bring this episode to a close, thanking again Abby for um, her work, thanking Isabel for her amazing leadership, excited for the future that both of them are stepping into. Thank you so much to Tom and Paul for allowing a completely female cast this week. We, uh, all three of us, will be back together for a pre-COP27 episode next week. We will be looking at the Brazilian election. We will be doing a quick catch-up on uh, the prospects for the midterm elections in the United States. Um, and, of course, um, bringing you an update on what we are seeing as we enter into the first week of the COP27 negotiations. So, folks, that's it for this week. And do stay on for a track from the group Penelope Isles entitled Underwater Record Store. See you next week. Bye. Hi, this is Lily from Penelope Isles. The song we have chosen to record live for you guys is a song called Underwater Record Store, which is from our first album, Until the Tide Creeps In. You may have guessed by those titles that Jack and I are big fans of the sea. Um, we're very lucky to have been brought up on the Isle of Man and go to uni in Cornwall and Brighton, and we love surfing and sea creatures. It felt right to choose this song purely on the title as it is about an underwater record store. Um, inspired by a dream, but potentially could be our future if we carry on going the way we're going, which is terribly pessimistic of me, but something that needs to be talked about. So thank you guys for making this podcast. Enjoy the tune. Lots of love.
So there you go. Another episode of Outrage and Optimism. The track you just heard was Underwater Record Store by Penelope Isles. Penelope Isles, I um, I just watched their KEXP performance and their Audio Tree performance on YouTube. What a talented duo Jack and Lily Walter are. And they interview them kind of halfway through. They're so genuinely, they're such genuinely nice people. Um, Lily is who you heard introduce herself, the band and the song Underwater Record Store at the beginning. Thank you to Penelope Isles for letting us spin your track. And thank you for actually for recording this special version that we can play on the podcast. How amazing is that? It's kind of like our own little KEXP or audio tree (laughs) just for you. Um, In the spirit of more live music, you can watch those two performances I mentioned, KEXP and audio tree in the show notes of this episode. Just an absolute masterclass in alt-rock and psychedelic live music making. They really do a fantastic job of highlighting the human music-making potential um, in a track-performance-driven world. So this would be a fantastic band to go see live. Penelope Isles, everyone. Penelope Isles. Well, hello, friends. I'm Clay, producer of this podcast, and I love music. Um, It's such a joy to have music on the podcast. I hope you're all enjoying the music as much as we are. And... Okay, let's roll into the rest of the credits here. This week, we have a very special, exciting opportunity with limited availability for Outrage and Optimism listeners. So you listeners are invited to join a new free program run by our friends at Crossing Borders Education. It's called the COP27 Civic Imagination Lab. Uh, It's been developed in partnership with Cisco, Purdue University, and UNESCO, um, Education for Sustainable Development. Uh, Let me explain just a little bit about what it is and what does taking part in it look like. So the Civic Imagination Lab is part of COP27. It's this global virtual community building initiative focused on climate action. Now, it offers a new interactive way to explore climate solutions, uh, creating much needed space for dialogue through authentic storytelling. If you want to take part in this program, it's three online sessions. Uh, You will experience empathetic dialogue, intercultural communication, and storytelling activities in smaller groups of about four to 12 people. And that will model how to connect deeply and engage actively within a virtual international community. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and been looking for a way to engage in a climate solution, Here it is. The sessions will draw on media content from Outrage and Optimism, the TED Climate Countdown, and National Geographic. So I know I said it before, but there's only a few spots, so make sure you get over there. Hopefully this has piqued your interest. You can register by the 31st of October. That's this upcoming Monday. Here's the website, crossingborders.education slash professionals. Now, Bespoke URLs are a dime a dozen. So just go to the show notes here for this episode. Click on the link there. And actually, I was thinking about it. I don't really know why they have professionals at the end. Don't let that intimidate you in any way. When you arrive on the site after clicking the link, you'll see a trailer for the program. You can watch the trailer. At the bottom of the page is the button to register. Again, it's free. And there are only a few spots. I think that's the third time I've said this. So please go. 
before the end of October 31st on Monday. Register up. Check it out. And if you do this, write into me. Let me know how it was. Sounds really cool. So I'd be interested to hear what your experience was. Great. Uh, thank you to our guests this week, Abigail Kima and Isabel Caballier. Be sure to check out their social links below, Abby's podcast, of course, and um, stay up to date with Isa's socials to hear more about Mundo Común. Oh, and uh, this Friday, tomorrow, we're publishing an episode of Hali Ewa, which is Abby's podcast, right here on our feed, so stay tuned for that. And go subscribe to her show. Check it out. She's going to be posting throughout COP27. The title of the podcast, again, Hali Hewa. Wherever you get your podcasts, links in the show notes. Always got you on that. All right. Let me grab my phone real quick. Speaking of badass women, I have right here a voice note from our very own Freya. Long awaited by listeners. I'm very excited about this. Long awaited by listeners around the world. And I can't wait to play it for you. But real quick, let me catch up any listeners on this saga who have forgotten the full story because it's been a minute since this all started. So Freya finished her master's and her master's research got published in Nature Communications. The link to that published research hit the Global Optimism group chat. Several team members like myself attempted to read it, but it being very scientific, I got lost in what some would call, uh, air quotes here, big words. The title, you ask? Nocturnal plant respiration is under strong non-temperature control. So, <laughs> I invited Freya onto the podcast to explain in less than 60 seconds. Or, you know, she could nominate one Canadian citizen to explain it because, as we found out on our podcast, Canadians have this unique ability to speak plainly and normally about scientific findings. Anyway, Freya, without hesitation, nominated Justin Trudeau. That's... That happened. Then... This voice note appears on my phone, so I'm just going to, let's just listen. I'm going to play it for you. Here we go. Okay, so the headline is, we have been modeling plant respiration wrong our entire lives. And if if anybody is still listening at this point, they're probably thinking, so what? Um, but plant respiration is a really important process that moves carbon through our earth system. And it's important because it determines how much carbon is stored in our terrestrial ecosystems and our forests. So we need to be able to model plant respiration in order to accurately project future climate change. So the overall application of the study is cool and pretty important. But yeah, I basically became nocturnal and collected all these crazy measurements from sunset to sunrise and used those to develop a new formula for plant respiration that we can put into models and yeah, better model the carbon cycle and predict future climate change. And there you go. I'm sorry, I couldn't get Justin Trudeau. <laughs> okay. Wow, there it is. The conclusion. Uh, Freya, thank you. It makes perfect sense. Totally worth the wait on that update. I hope listeners will join me in forgiving you for not being able to get Justin Trudeau on the podcast. But hey, great job. <laughs> thank you, Freya. And listeners, now that you know this... I've got a link to the research in the show notes. Please send to your favorite scientist. You've got this in your back pocket. I know it's going to come in handy at some point. Can't wait to see where this research goes from here. Thank you, Freya. 
Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow, you'll hear an episode of Harihewa here on the podcast feed. And we'll be back next Thursday for regularly scheduled programming. Uh, COP27 is ready to... Oh, I just realized November is next week. Um, Wow, COP27 is in less than two weeks. It's right around the corner. So hit subscribe and we'll be right here in your podcast feed. I have emails to send. I gotta go. Bye.